0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper, Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. So for TV and streaming, we're joined by Joe Shea and by Grace McKeever from Entertainment.ie. So Grace, uh, Game of Thrones was such a massive TV experience for so many people in recent years. What are we expect of House of the Dragon?
1: Well, this is the big question, especially given that I feel like a lot of people were unhappy with the ending of Game of Thrones. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this spin off. I know that it was just under $20 million per episode to make. So it really This new
0: series is yes, costing that much per episode.
1: $20 million per episode. So, you know, it really better live up to the hype.
0: Uh, Joe Shea, th- that is an extraordinary amount of money. Even feature films sometimes are made for less.
2: Yeah, and Netflix is 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 managing to make neat feature films Actually, with stars, are around $35-40 at the moment. It is a lot of money, but they know that they've got a huge global, worldwide audience locked in for this. It's interesting. It's They're going to go back 172 years, very precise, 172 years in the past uh, from the death of, of uh, Denise Tangerian. And um, it's, it's interesting as well that they're not going to have any of, of the stars, obviously, if it's set that far in the past. So it's a completely new cast completely new cast of characters. There will be familiar names and familiar themes. The music is going to be the same, which, which is interesting. And obviously they'll have, they'll have the same locations, you know, King's Landing and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's... <sighs> It's definitely going to find a very big audience at the start. The problem that they might have is holding on to that audience because, you know, it's 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 a big ask to stop this, to to get people to stick with these big, huge fantasy uh, series. So it's it's got its work cut out for it, but they, they should get off to a great start.
0: Grace, you were saying to me just off air during the break there that you're looking forward to this, even though you never watched Game of Thrones. Why would you watch this if you haven't watched Game of Thrones?
1: I think what happened with Game of Thrones was I started on the back foot because I hadn't seen, um, I don't know, the first series of it or something. And then there was this hype around it, I suppose, as it kind of started to gain traction. Um, So I just know there's a vast amount of episodes and the Red Wedding has already been spoiled. You just couldn't
0: actually commit to the time of catching
1: up, is it? This is it, kind of. So I felt like I was on the back foot and I and things had been spoiled, like the Red Wedding. I know what happens. Um, so I suppose this one just feels fresh and it feels like a chance to jump on to something. And I might enjoy it more, in fact, because um, if it's kind of going to be similar to Game of Thrones, maybe people who've seen Game of Thrones will feel like it's too much the same.
0: OK, do, were you a Game of Thrones fan, Joe?
2: I was at the start, and I kind of I did enjoy it, and it was it was you know I, I I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings, read Tolkien. When I was a kid. I kind of I I definitely have a grow for that kind of that kind of you know fantasy epic kind of stuff, but I just find it just went on it went on for too long. It was too sprawling. It was all lots of set pieces, and it didn't have the kind of the charm or the heart or the kind of the morality that that Lord of the Rings has. So it just I got tired of it. The interesting thing about games Game of Thrones, like from Grace's point of view. You can watch. You don't really have to watch it in sequence because none of it makes a hell of a lot of sense anyway. So <laughs> you can just pick out the kind of the really big, popular, favourite episodes and just watch those. Ignore the rest of them because there's a lot of faffing about in Game of Thrones. So just pick the pick pick the big ones and, and ignore the rest.
1: I'll get on to you for my crash course then. So before the new <laughs> Dude, one comes out, no problem.
2: <laughs> now
0: talking
1: of prequels, because this is set
0: as you say, Joe, 172 years beforehand. Possibly the most enjoyable thing in recent years on Netflix has been Better Call Saul. The sequel to Breaking Bad, and now that we're in the final series, they've sort of merged. And I don't want to give too much away to those who might be a little bit behind. The final episode of of, uh, Better Call Saul is being aired tonight and will be available tomorrow here in Ireland. What have you made of Better Call Saul final season?
2: Um... I think it's been brilliant TV and the last episode was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the, it, and it's 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 not because it's full of, you know, exciting cliffhanger moments, although there have been some of those. It's because of the quality of the acting, the quality of the script, how it looks. I mean, they, they do, you know, they do things like they'll shoot an episode half in, in that bleached out, um, you know, Albuquerque colour and half in black and white, you know, switching to Wisconsin. it's It's... Or sorry, Nebraska. It's it's just been brilliant, and it's a pity. <coughs> excuse me. That tomorrow is when we're going to have the last episode. Now we do know that Vince Gilligan, uh, who's directed, produced, and written a lot of the of the uh, the final uh, series of a Better Call Saul, uh, is going. Is already um, about to pitch a new series. Uh, he said, and Bob Odenkirk have said the star of Better Call Saul that they won't be going back to Saul again. I, I think they might do someday, because he's such a fantastic character, he right? But Vince Gilligan is apparently about to kind of unveil his next big TV series, which is, as being said, is a bit like The Twilight Zone. So it'll be a kind of compendium of stories, uh, a bit of a sci-fi kind of vibe to it. He did work on um, The X-Files before. So it's going to be very exciting to see what he does next. But tomorrow night is going to be a huge, huge TV event of the year at the last episode, Better Call so.
0: OK, for many people, Grace, the, the Crown is something they're looking forward to eagerly. But of course, filming is going ahead for a future series, but apparently they're having a problem with season six and finding an actor for Prince William.
1: Well, I actually have a solution for them, Matt. so i have I've, I've kind of mulled over it myself and thought about how they'd find, you know the perfect William. And I've got just the trick. i Have you ever done one of those um, celebrity lookalike generators?
0: Right, go on.
1: So I have put a picture of 18-year-old Prince William into a celebrity lookalike generator. Now, naturally, himself came up, 51% likeness. Tom Hardy came up, 34% 34% likeness and Sergio Ramos came up 30% likeness. Sergio Ramos, the footballer? Yes. So this, and he's i he's Spanish so he's not exactly
2: you, going to be great doing the part of William, is yeah. he? They'd need a German footballer surely. <laughs> <if they're. laughs>
1: well, I ran another picture. Um, it gave Sergio again as number one at 39%. It gave James Blunt 35% and it also gave Pharrell Williams 31%. So I think it's the perfect solution for them really.
0: I have thought of Sergio Ramos looking like Prince William? Would you, Joe?
2: N- no, not not at all. Uh, uh, James Blunt. I'd like to see James Blunt do it. Actually, he's got the accent because he is from that kind of background. He's famously famously posh as well. But it is it is a big problem for them because they they haven't got somebody. And apparently they've got casting uh, they've got casting directors all over the world looking for somebody aged between eighteen and thirty five who looks vaguely like Prince William, and can do that that accent. So until they find him, obviously they've got a problem.
0: I see yet another TV documentary on Diana's death, Joe, this time on Channel 4.
2: Yeah, but this, this is interesting because this is a four-part series, Channel 4 and Discovery, right? And what they're doing is they're taking, they're doing a four-part documentary as if it's a police procedural looking at the investigation, right? Because a lot of the, t- they had, and there was a good, Uh, documentary on Diana recently on Sky documentaries as well made by a guy called Rob Perkins which is definitely worth checking out which looked at kind of the the media circus around her and that's normally how that how this is how this is examined but this uh, this investigating Diana death in Paris Looks very closely at the first French investigation by the French Brigade Criminale, which is the, the, the kind of the main uh, the, the serious crime squad, and that was started in 1997, obviously after her death. And then the second, the Metropolitan, London Metropolitan Police Investigation in 2004. So, what we're being promised here is something a little different. Instead of kind of the glitter, the glam, the tragedy, the usual stuff we hear about Diana, a very forensic look at everything that happened or everything that's known, including a look at the many, many conspiracy theories that have come up about it. So I think, you know, if you're not into if, if you're kind of put off by the usual Diana stuff, Queen of Hearts and Glamour and Showbiz, I think you're still going to find this interesting anyway.
0: OK, now Grace what's your thing with Instant Dream Home on Netflix?
1: So this is an absolutely lovely show I must say perfect for sitting down cup of tea on a Sunday evening it's easy watching and I really thought it would be kind of soft and fluffy but sure I ended up crying at every episode I'll be honest with you it was very emotional The this team come in to renovate the homes of select people across America and they are just lovely stories um, and the way they tried to integrate really thinking about the people into their homes so there's a woman for example, who has recently gone blind and they they make this sort of sensory garden for her and stuff like that. They renovate it all in 12 hours as a complete surprise to the person um, who lives there. They're obviously kind of taken away with an accomplice. um, But it's just lovely and easy watching.
0: Lovely and easy watching. Okay, now, Joe, your pick of the week is about an individual who actually was once a guest on this programme yeah. uh, back in around, I think it was around 2004, 2005 time, when he came to Ireland to speak at uh, Trinity College. Um, but since then, uh, there's the more sinister side to him has emerged. Tell us about the Channel 4 programme at 10 o'clock tonight.
2: That's why I chose him, Matt, because people, even if you're, you know... <laughs> Ron Jeremy was one of the few people to kind of porn stars to burst out into kind of popular culture and become a figure outside of that world. And you're right, he did come to to Ireland and he was held up for a while as a sort of, you know, the the, the acceptable face of porn, the cuddly, the the kindly face of porn. A man who, you know, talked about respecting women and all this kind of stuff. And he was a huge, huge star, made hundreds and hundreds of movies. Now, this uh, porn king, the rise and fall of Ron Jeremy, is on uh, t- 10 p.m. on Channel Four tonight. It's the first of a two-part documentary, and it, what it looks like, what it looks at, is this character Ron Jeremy, who, like you said, was a very kind of conversational, approachable, intelligent guy who talked a good game. Now he's now facing 36 sexual assault charges, which he denies. Uh, should be said. So, and he's got former co-stars from the porn world coming out and talking about. The dark side of, of, of this guy Ron Jeremy, the, the dark side as you 'd expect of the porn industry, especially in what they call the golden era of porn in the, in the '80s and '90s when VHS was king, so I think it 's going to be a pretty fascinating look at a, at, a, at a fascinating character who I think had a very dual kind of life going on and was able to not, not fool but able to kind of, was able to project himself as, a, as, as kind of the acceptable face of the adult entertainment industry.
0: And to finish, Grace, your Pick of the Week is something I think that might also appeal to where we started tonight with this new Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. Maybe the same audience for Netflix as The Sandman.
1: For sure. It definitely is steeped in a lot of fantasy. And I mean, you're kind of brought into it, and it's this realm, the dream realm, the dream and nightmares realm, and it's ruled by the Sandman. You're brought in, it's absolutely glorious. I say it kind of looks like that Vigeland Park in Oslo with all the kind of face structures and hands and things like that. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then suddenly it's contrasted with the real world, which is something like out of an Edgar Allan Poe poem almost, like very creepy.
0: Neil Gaiman book isn't it that has been based on
1: Absolutely and Neil Gaiman also did Coraline if you kind of get that eerie feel from it you know it's no surprise um, but it's absolutely brilliant it's got David Thouless I believe is how you pronounce his name um, and he's kind of in this mental health facility he's one of these eerie characters and you never know what he's going to do next and it's very hard to decipher whether he's actually on the side of good or evil so Sandman is journeying to hell and back to try to sort out the issue in his realm.
0: Grace McKeever from entertainment.ie and Joe Shea, thank you both for joining us. The last
1: word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4